0: Hey, Austin.
1: Hey, Ariel. What's up? What are we hearing here?
0: Well, this was me struggling into a big tractor back in February, carrying all my recording equipment. (laughs) This is nice. I didn't know tractors came with a little sidekick, see?
1: It's hard to imagine you struggling, but uh, I'd imagine you trying to turn it into a workout or something.
0: (laughs) Well, this farmer made it look so easy, and he's 71. This tractor was like 20 feet tall.
2: Just make sure it's shut.
1: So who is this farmer?
0: His name is Hoppy. Hoppy Henton.
1: Hoppy. Where do you get a name like that?
0: Oh, I'm going to tell you all about that in a bit. Let me just say, his name is fitting, as he seems to have endless energy. He's accomplished a lot in his life. He served on the USDA during Clinton. He's consulted with different farming groups on a number of issues. And he was a force on the board of his insurance agency, the Kentucky Farm Bureau.
2: There's a lot of environmental regulations that the Farm Bureau... Just in general, doesn't like anybody telling him how to farm.
0: But when it comes to his work with the Kentucky Farm Bureau, he's always been kind of at odds with them.
1: Well, who isn't kind of at odds with their insurance agency?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, unlike most of us just trying to buy insurance and never reading through the policy bookets we get in the mail, he does. He has this deep familial connection to his insurance agency.
2: And they have a fabulous insurance company. I have Farm Bureau insurance today.
1: That's a ringing endorsement. Sounds like he'd advertise for them for free.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right? But wait till you hear what he says with his very next breath.
2: In this policy book, and the policies have always caused me great angst about what they're trying to do. He's talking about the Farm Bureau's policies?
0: Yeah, he doesn't agree with a lot of their policies, which left me wondering how he fits in at all.
2: When I find myself quite on the outside of
3: most of my colleagues,
0: but he's had a huge impression on his community as kind of a rebel.
3: Yeah, he always has his hands and his thoughts in something. He's known to be a
4: character, Hoppy, as uh, a gentleman that always asks the questions that uh, that sometimes people won't ask but need to ask. He he always likes to push the envelope and. Uh, Sometimes uh, Hoppy is viewed almost as a
2: lightning rod. And the issue that's on our plate today, which is a big issue in the fairness ordinances, it's an issue that we as citizens should be involved in. It's a good idea,
1: but it doesn't suit Farm Bureau. Oh, so the Farm Bureau is not adapting to the fairness ordinances in Kentucky.
0: No, they are pretty contradictory to it. And some things have happened that have really hurt Hoppy.
2: How can my farm or my farm organization do something like that?
0: From WKMS and PRX, this is the Middle of Everywhere.
1: Big stories from the small places we call home. I'm Austin Carter,
0: and I'm Ariel Avery, and today. Hoppy's Heartache. So, the first time I spoke with Hoppy was over the phone.
1: Did you ask him about his name?
0: Oh, yeah, I did. So, his full name is Hampton Harris Henton. So,
1: all
2: last names are thrown together. <laughs> wow, how regal.
0: Yeah, his older cousin had an opinion about his string of names. And
2: he did not think there's any way you can make a nickname out of any of those names. And so sitting there one day watching television, apparently, I was told he decided my name should be Hoppy for Hopalong Cassidy on TV.
0: So anyways, I thought I might just have a short conversation with him just to kind of warm him up to me and get the gist of his story. But he jumped right into the crux of the issue, totally impassioned, and we ended up talking for almost an hour.
2: I've been trying to say for years... Let's get rid of all this extraneous matter that doesn't have anything to do with Farm Bureau's real reason for existing.
0: So just so people know, the Kentucky Farm Bureau is huge. They cover over 450,000 people statewide. They insure farms, cars, and homes all across Kentucky. So it's not just farmers. And this extraneous matter Hoppy is talking about is written in their policy book.
2: They include a whole bunch of issues. But most notably, issues on, you know, right to life, on issues of marriage equality, on issues of gender-neutral bathrooms, and all sorts of things. And on page 94 of the policy book, we support capital punishment. And I go, why? What's that got to do with anything about our lives in rural America? Uh, We have, we think, under God should remain in the Pledge of Allegiance. I didn't know they were trying to take it out, but by God, it's in the book.
0: Another really interesting and important bit of information he told me was about how available this book is in the first place.
1: Okay, so what do you mean?
0: Well, he told me a couple times to go to our local Farm Bureau office. Tell them you're
2: thinking about insuring your car and say, what do I have to do? They'll give you a rate, they'll tell you what the rate is. You'll find the rate to be quite competitive and good. And you say, well, do you have a policy book? And they say, yes, we do have a policy book. And you say, can I have a copy of it to see if I want to be a member of this organization? And see what they say.
1: And what did they say?
0: Well, I didn't go.
1: Oh, bummer.
0: <laughs> I know. I tried to do it legit and call as a WKMS podcast producer. So sort of ruined the surprise. But basically, he told me no one will find a policy book in any local office.
1: I mean, that seems weird. Why?
0: Well, hang tight. I'm going to tell you more about that later. But first, just a little history. All these policies really kind of came to light in the public eye back in 2005 when the Farm Bureau fired Unitarian Minister Todd Eckloff. At the time, he was working for the Farm Bureau filming stories about agriculture in rural Kentucky. But he had demonstrated his support of gay marriage by refusing to marry anyone after the state passed an amendment banning same-sex marriage. He would only marry if the state repealed the amendment. The Farm Bureau's vice president at the time wrote a letter saying their policy prohibited employees from taking high-profile positions on public issues.
2: But most recently, they have added some wording in the book that's quite disturbing in terms of equality. The institution of marriage should only be recognized as a legal union between a man and a woman, even after the Supreme Court rules. Why would you keep that in there? The law of the land has changed. There's a, we oppose state-supported agencies providing benefits for domestic partners, domestic being in parentheses, as if it was something evil about that.
1: I can see his interpretation of these policies, and I can hear how invested he is in this. But he's a full-time farmer, right? He's not out there writing policy all day.
0: Nope. Full-time farmer, and yes, also fully invested in seeing change in the Farm Bureau's policies. So I, of course, wanted to meet this man, see his daily operation, and just find out what makes him tick, and tick so loudly. Not being a Kentucky native, I hadn't spent any time in the center of the state where horse country spans the map, sprinkled with bourbon distilleries. It's the Kentucky everyone thinks of when they think of Kentucky. But after exiting the Bluegrass Parkway and driving through the charming town of Versailles, I watched the landscape open up into lines of fences surrounding vast pasture lands. Rolling hills had extravagant stables perched on top. This is horse country. But I noticed driving into Hoppy's farm, it was a break in the wealthy pastoral landscape. His early 1800s house was sandwiched by a pond on one side and a small house on the other. We first toured the property in his Subaru, which was filled with various equipment rattling around over the uneven terrain, which presented a bit of a noisy environment for audio recording.
2: <laughs> that's a cemetery.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Old,
2: there's an old church that sat here for years, and that's the cemetery that hangs behind the church.
0: Hoppy's family has been farming this land for nine generations, with his son now preparing to take over the business.
2: I am the holdout. I'm the remnant of the past. Really? Last remaining traditional farmer in the area. Is that
0: right? He told me he was the holdout from a time when this area wasn't covered with expansive horse barns, a time when the land was still largely covered with family farms. And this, as I would come to understand, is consistent with how he lives his life, being the holdout, staunch in his beliefs. His son Nathaniel puts it this way
3: What dad has always been good at is forming his beliefs and sticking by them. He is always trying to fight the good fight, I guess you could say.
0: So I was wondering, when did he learn what was a cause worth fighting for? When did he form these core beliefs?
2: Well, that's, that is a remarkably good question.
0: Hoppy was born into a conservative family, though not a particularly political one.
2: And we grew up sort of encapsulated in a little rural America.
0: But as Hoppy got older, he started living through changing times.
2: When I was in the fifth grade, here in, here in Woodford County, in elementary school, I remember to this day Mrs. Fishback, our teacher, coming in the room the first day of class and rearranging where we sat in the class. And she created some vacant chairs all through the class. And then she said, we got some new students coming today, and we're going to be really nice to them. We're not going to, make a, not going to do anything. And it was the first time black students ever came into Sales Elementary School.
0: Fast forward a few years, Hoppy's entrance into the world at large.
2: I went to college in the late 60s and the Vietnam War and the political activity of that period of time changed me forever. I go to school when when King was killed and Kennedy was killed and the war was going on and everybody was being drafted and the things that we heard on the TV turned out not to be true. And I think it was a seminal moment. Wherever you walk into your life, this sort of sets your tone, at least for me. Okay, so we've got
1: Hoppy, fresh out of college, newly liberalized farm boy. When did he start getting involved with this policy discussion stuff?
0: Well, okay, so he went home after college and started farming full-time, but he was really activated and couldn't just sit on a tractor all day. He told me about this agricultural leadership program he was in at the University of Kentucky. He was part of this first class of students in this program.
2: And we came out of that class thinking that we had been trained to be leaders. We probably weren't, but we thought we were. And so we came out of the class in our last day. we kind of asked the question, now what are you going to do? The university's invested money and you've invested time. What are you going to do with these skills? But so I was going to energize to, well, let's see what I can do here.
0: Hoppy's answer was to get involved with his local Farm Bureau, the insurance agency we were talking about earlier.
1: All right, it's all coming together now. And so I decided to run.
0: Hoppy gained his place on the Woodford County Board of the Farm Bureau and was eventually elected as the president.
2: We dealt with, you know, the trivial things of having a picnic once a year and having a meeting once a month and eating the mandatory roast beef. So I'm starting a band now called Mandatory
1: Roast Beef, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't wait to hear you perform. So anyways, Hoppy being Hoppy, he started looking beyond the county board to figure out where the Farm Bureau policies came from.
2: I noticed that most of the power base for Farm Bureau came out of what's called the state board.
0: So the Farm Bureau has always claimed to have been a grassroots organization, with all their policies and representatives being decided by members. But here's where the structure of the Farm Bureau gets a little confusing, kind of like our own democratic system in the U.S. As Hoppy explained it to me, each district gets two or three delegates, which are elected by a caucus from each county. And just like the American electorate system, each county gets a certain number of delegates based on the population.
2: And I ran against a guy that had been been in place for maybe 25 years. I did it the old-fashioned way. I talked to everybody. I went to every county meeting. I went to every farmer I could talk to. I did like the Iowa politics. I went door to door. I'm not really sure how I pulled that off, okay?
0: (laughs) He told them he was now this leader.
1: And for some reason they believe that. So he won. So he was elected, right?
0: Yep. And this democratic process is something Hoppy is super proud of. It's one of the things he kept saying over and over, that he saw democracy at work here. So now he was in a place where he could go to the state board and start influencing the kind of policy that was being voted in. And we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear about a big win for Hoppy that didn't last long and how that made him reconsider the whole structure of the Farm Bureau.
5: Support for Middle of Everywhere comes from Kentucky Humanities. An affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Kentucky Humanities is dedicated to bringing the humanities to classrooms and communities across the state, promoting literacy and civil discourse, building pride in the Commonwealth, and telling all of Kentucky's stories. Learn more at kyhumanities.org.
0: Okay, so when we left off, Hoppy had just been elected as district director, right? Right. So once he was on the state board, he really started delving into the policy book for the Farm Bureau.
2: That's where I got involved in the in looking at the book from sort of the inside.
0: Austin, do you remember when Hoppy told me to go to our local office and ask for a policy book?
1: I do. I was curious about it, and you didn't go.
0: <laughs> so the reason he told me to do that was because he knew they wouldn't have one on hand.
2: Yeah, why was that? They don't want you to see this. Because they know that if you saw what they stand for, you would go, I don't want to be a member of this thing. Oh, wow.
0: The ACLU and the Fairness Campaign were calling this book, and still call it, the secret policy book. I think the Fairness Campaign came up with that term first.
1: Hmm, really? Okay, wait, I think we might need to explain what the Fairness Campaign is.
0: Oh, you're right, we do.
1: So the Fairness Campaign has been active in Kentucky now for a couple of decades, and they've been a big force in helping to pass fair treatment ordinances for LGBTQ and other groups.
0: Right. So anyway, the secret policy book. There are a couple reasons Hoppe has explained to me that this book being secret is a problem. So the Farm Bureau claims to be this grassroots organization, right? Yeah. When Hoppe started asking why they had policies on social issues in the book, He was told that these policies come directly from the members.
2: All these policies bubble up out of the counties, bubble up out of the grassroots, and they get approved by the membership. And so who are we at the state level to say that our grassroots are wrong? And so it's, it's logical to say it's in the book because the members wanted it there.
0: The problem with making this claim is that there are different levels of membership in the organization. People who are just buying car insurance or homeowners insurance are called associate members. Farmers who buy this insurance are on a different level of membership.
2: They're called regular members. That's the only people who write this book. That's the only people who can be on the board, regular members. And regular means that you earn 50% of your income from farming. 90% of the membership of Farm Bureau are not farmers.
1: Okay, so I can see where that might be a little problematic. The policies for the majority are made by a pretty extreme minority. But I'm still not quite getting the gravity of these bad policies.
0: Well, he's got other bad history with them, too. Something happened one year at the annual convention where the state board discusses policy.
2: It's quite fascinating how much effort they spend at their annual meeting with elected delegates from each county who actually can help write this book.
0: So all these delegates get together and start reading through the policy book.
2: They go through the policy book line by line every year. And anybody in the room can make it, can make an amendment. Anybody can make an amendment to strike. It's democracy at its best. You're writing their playbook, or I won't use the word Bible, but you're writing this thing that they hold sacred. During one of the conventions, I stood up on the floor, and I looked at the book, and I said, you know, we have a policy in here that we oppose raising the minimum wage. Well, then minimum wage doesn't apply to farmers. We're exempt from minimum wage rules. Why do we have a policy on this? Surprisingly, I won the argument, and the delegates in the meeting voted to strike that from our book. They didn't say raise the minimum wage. They just took out the words we oppose it. I think, I'm making some progress here. Hey, that's pretty great. Yeah, but wait. The very next day on Saturday, there's a moment to reconsider. And somebody stood up next to me and said, we, we moved to put it back in there. And overwhelmingly, they voted to put that wording back in. And it's in there today. So I went to talk to Paul, who made the motion to go the other direction. And he said, well, the Chamber of Commerce in Louisville heard about this. And they put pressure on the State Farm Bureau Leadership because they want a low minimum wage. And they want to be able to say Farm Bureau is one of their allies. So it's
0: not
1: grassroots. Wow, I can see why Hoppy thinks there's such a problem here.
0: Yes, and this is sort of at the center of this controversy for Hoppe and why the ACLU and the Fairness Campaign are invested. But Hoppy kept at it. He quit the board for a time to join the USDA during the Clinton administration, but after that was all wrapped up, he was back on the county board, pushing for these policy resolutions just as hard.
2: I got in this argument one day, and I said, we should, we should, as a county, go in and oppose these policies. Not turn them around, just extract them from the book. And the county said, we don't, we don't want to wrestle that issue. We don't want to antagonize the state organization. And so they voted not to address these issues. And not only did they vote not to support my policies, for the first time in forever, they voted not to send me as a delegate. And when I asked why you did that, the Vice President, Executive Vice President of Farm Bureau, Mr. David Beck, said we don't want him coming anymore.
0: I asked David if he remembered this.
2: No, I don't recall that, but uh,
4: I know that they choose delegates to represent them, and his delegates in his county might decide they need someone else to represent them. So I imagine the committee uh, in his home county of Woodford probably chose people that may have been more aligned with their thinking. You think you were the only one that was
0: kind
2: of bringing these to the table? No, no. No, but I was the one who was blatantly bringing them to the table. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. And when I wanted our county to pass county resolutions to this level, then that's when they said, we just can't, can't, no. We don't want anybody pointing this out.
1: So it kind of all gets back to the democratic process, you know, however flawed.
0: Yes, a democratic process that is a bit skewed because the majority of members don't have a vote. But it's also telling about the process when someone like Hoppy, someone who's so invested, can at the same time have this unforgivable experience with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was ousted by his friends and his farm organization. That's heartbreaking.
0: After this rejection, hoppy has been a bit less involved in trying to reform the policy book. Of course, he continued going around espousing the need for reform, but didn't do it from any place of power. That is, until he learned about the Fairness Campaign.
2: I actually called Chris on the phone to talk to him about the Farm Bureau.
0: Chris Hartman is the executive director of the Fairness Campaign.
2: Um, I was at the
5: fairgrounds. The person on the other end said, hi, this is Hoppy Hinton and I'm a Farm Bureau member and, you know, I don't like what they're doing at all. And, you know, I want to want to help. I want to talk to you. Here's the first Kentucky Farm Bureau member who has reached out to me claiming to have some sort of inside knowledge of the workings of the Kentucky Farm Bureau.
0: The fairness campaign has been really critical of the Farm Bureau for a while something that Chris Hartman started doing back in 2015 was attending the annual ham breakfast that the Farm Bureau puts on.
1: Are these the ham breakfasts at the State Fair where people buy a ham for a couple of million dollars or something?
0: Yes.
2: Then they have, at the State Fair, every year, and this has been going on for 50 years, they have what's called the ham breakfast. It's the, one of the big events of the entire year for Farm Bureau. And they do, in fact, have a ham. All the money goes to, it goes to charities everywhere. So whoever buys it actually makes a donation to charities. On the stage, it's become popular to have senators and representatives and governors. as President of the Farm Bureau will say, I have Senator Wendell Ford. Or I have, Sen- I have Senator Mitch McConnell. Governor Bevins is here. And so they all sit on the front stage, but always the governor and the senior senator always get to say, I'm so glad you're here today. This is a wonderful event. They say something. And when McConnell gets up, it's usually a lot more blatantly Republican. It's a political event. Now, anybody can come. Gatewood Galbraith, the pro-marijuana candidate, he always came. It is a overt political event. So it made sense, I thought, for an organization that has political views, looks like a pretty good idea to go.
0: So, like Hoppy said, the Fairness Campaign, being a political organization, has also decided to attend these breakfasts.
2: You can buy a ticket. I can buy a ticket. The tickets are open to the public.
0: The first year Chris attended, in 2015, he was arrested.
2: I think at one time, they had some signs they were carrying, and one could argue that they disrupted the meeting. There may have been a time where they stood up and said something out loud during the speech. I don't recall that they did, but again, from my standpoint, that's what democracies are about.
0: Every year since the first one they attended, nothing has happened to them.
5: So last year in 2019, I woke up at 4.30 a.m. or 5 a.m. and really just didn't think much about the day except The responsibilities that I had that day and the work that I had to do.
0: Chris and his group started the day outside the breakfast, handing out flyers. Then, as the breakfast was getting started, they decided to go in for a photo op.
5: You know, trying to have Frida, our puppet, go to the breakfast. Whoa, wait. A puppet? They had a puppet.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) They have this giant puppet. It's like 10 feet tall, and they call her Frida Fairness. She's the antithesis of the Freddie Farm Bureau mascot that's staked out at the Kentucky Fair every year.
1: So I didn't even know the Farm Bureau had a mascot, but he's basically this Anglo-looking farmer dude who wears overalls and sits on hay bales, right? Right. So what does Frida look like?
0: Well, she's got pretty dark skin, large head and hands, a very short haircut. She's dressed in a quilted shirt with overalls that end in a skirt. Her gender and racial identity are very mixed, and she's mobile. Whenever she goes out, she's interacting with people, holding signs, giving hugs, and posing for pictures. So anyway, Chris, Frida, and crew continued on toward the breakfast hall.
5: As we started to approach the ticket stanchion, it was clear that things were different of this go-around.
0: By Chris's account, the state troopers started gathering around the entrance to the hall.
5: You know, preparing to block the entrance, have some sort of an altercation.
0: The troopers refused to let them come in.
5: You know, I was said, oh, come on, the the puppet, Frida wants some ham. We chanted twice, I only remember doing it twice, Frida wants ham, Frida wants ham. Um, And I was clear, I wanted to be intentional about not disrupting the actual breakfast event, because that was what got us arrested
0: in 2015. Despite this, things escalated quickly. The doors to the hall were closed, and so maybe the concern was that the group was going to disrupt the event already underway. Chris claimed he and Frida had their tickets and should have been given entry. But after going back and forth with the troopers...
5: He put his hands on me, and he pushed them back. um, And I was shocked. Uh, And that was the moment when he said, you're under arrest.
0: The Courier-Journal posted a video of Chris's encounter with the police.
5: Can you put my hands up one more time? Wait, this is aggressive. This time, that trooper in front of me gave the order, and the guys behind no, me didn't really do much. You absolute cut, guys. You. This is completely and so I, I laid down. I think that's when uh, some of our protesters who were still in the space um, began chanting shame. You know, shame, shame. shame.
1: Wow, that is intense. It's like Game of Thrones.
0: <laughs> yeah. The incident was reported on television and newspapers like the Courier-Journal. There were TV crews and cameras everywhere. So that's how Hoppy initially heard about it.
2: How can my farm or my farm organization do something like that?
0: So after talking with Chris, I sent his account of the breakfast arrest to Hoppy.
2: Well, since I've heard... The dialogue he gave you, the the in-depth dialogue of what happened at the Farm Bureau breakfast. I did call him, and he called me back.
0: Hoppy wanted to know if the state troopers were ready for them, had been given instructions to look for Chris's group.
2: He wasn't really sure how to answer that, but I don't think he really knew.
0: If they knew that the state troopers were doing that on their behalf, does that pain you?
2: Oh, God, Yes. Yes. Yes, the fact that they did it pains me.
0: I did ask the Farm Bureau President Mark Haney if he knew the troopers were prepped in any way or had plans to arrest someone that day, and he didn't seem to know anything about that.
4: Uh, I don't think uh, they, were, they weren't prepped by, by, in any means by anybody from Farm Bureau to uh, uh, make any kind of a uh of decision on. Oh wait! So you talked to the president
1: of Farm Bureau about this? Yeah. Well, how did you get a hold of him?
0: I just called him up.
1: How'd you get his number?
0: <laughs> oh, I got it from Hoppy. He sent it to me.
2: I can talk to the president of Kentucky Farm Bureau by phone or by text, and we uh, he always responds to me. So we have a we have on a personal level, we're quite friendly.
1: Okay, so this kind of keeps getting weirder, but. If you talked with the president, did you ask him about everything else Hoppy told you about? Oh, yeah. And
4: what did he say?
0: Well, he kind of said what the Farm Bureau has been saying to all news media.
4: Our policy is, is truly grassroots driven.
0: I asked if the Chamber of Commerce had influence over the policy, like Hoppy claimed.
4: <sighs> well, they, no, I don't, you know, that we don't... Um, I mean, we're, we are a member of the state chamber of commerce, and, and many of us are members of county and city chambers of commerce. And they have a policy uh, uh, really um, exercised just like we do.
0: He said often policy gets voted for without everyone really noticing sometimes because, like Hoppy said, they have to get through the entire book in one day. And it's a slog.
4: I can and I remember that happening on that on that minimum wage. It just kind of slid through and everybody was sitting there in a daze because they had been dragging through uh, plowing through the work on some of those monotonous type issues.
0: We also talked about different membership levels and why associate members can't serve in offices, which has to do with their investment in agricultural issues. But ultimately, it all still kind of boiled down to what the farm bureau is.
4: All the things that go to build a rural community, our folks take a, take a position on, take a stand on. We are, by nature, a conservative organization.
1: Wow, so I guess that kind of means that Hoppy's just left out. Yeah. So how does he stay friends even with this divisive history between them?
0: Well, I think this is revealing of something about Hoppy, and maybe about his experience of history. He's capable of having an intense debate with someone about his core beliefs and not coming out of it hating them or unwilling to work with them. When his son Nathaniel and I got to talking about this, he had some really revelatory stuff to say about his dad and how the times have affected him and all of us.
3: It's kind of interesting to think about, like, to think out loud to you now, like, going from, you know, my grandparents' time to my parents' time, now to my time, and, and what will be my children's time with, like, this political environment that we're in. And
0: He thinks maybe the political environment is different now. It affects people's relationships differently.
3: Because when did, like, that become everything? And people become less than their party affiliate. You know, I can totally see
1: what he's saying. I've talked to so many family and friends about how polarized everything seems nowadays, and it's almost polarized to the point of destruction.
0: Mm. I mean, I'm glad that our country is facing so many issues that have been under the rug, but it is sad that it has caused so much division in the country between neighbors and between friends and family. And here's this perfect example of a guy who's able to keep his friendships and respect for the people he disagrees with. The importance of holding on to his deep connection to the Farm Bureau and the friends he's made there trumps his feelings about their views.
2: It's hard in a little world we live in of agriculture in Kentucky. My my affection, allegiance, uh, appreciation of the organization is profound.
3: But again, if he's been doing that for 40 years and nothing's changed, who can continue on fighting it? Mm -hmm. Fighting a system that's broken?
1: I mean, yeah, who can? What's he doing now? If his Farm Bureau efforts haven't gone anywhere, is he just resigned to just tending his farm?
0: Funny, I asked him the same thing while we were on the tractor. Oh,
2: I tell everybody this is my last year on anything, okay? And they just laugh at me, you know. It, it's
0: interesting. And then he told me about something else he's involved with, this yeah. tobacco policy thing that he was excited That's to see totally go down.
2: This little commodity and how people are going to you know, tear each other's teeth out and, and there's going to be all sorts of policy issues.
0: So he's still getting his kicks in on policy making somewhere, still having an effect. And the rest of the time, he's just out there alone, riding his tractor.
3: but he loves that like he goes he will go get on a tractor at five or six o'clock in the evening and then just mow listen to the radio and just mow that's like his he loves doing that
0: This episode of Middle of Everywhere was produced by me, Ariel Lavery, with editorial help from my co-host, Austin Carter. Our editor is Naomi Starabin. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Time on the String Sound Studio in Paducah, Kentucky. Other scoring was from APM Music. Marketing and sponsorship support comes from Dixie Lynn. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Middle of Everywhere Pod. And if you want to hear about exciting updates or get alerted about new episodes, sign up for our newsletter at middleofeverywherepod.com. Middle of Everywhere is a production of WKMS and PRX. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.